0: Today we're closing up a sermon series on the book of Proverbs, talking about a life of courage, courage to face temptation. Um, The whole book of Proverbs, including the text that we'll read together in just a few moments, is filled with this image of a path and multiple paths to choose from. They're paths that lead to life. We're going to hear descriptions of those as straight paths, paths that lead to healing and refreshment. God will describe himself as a fountain of life, path that leads to boldness so that we can be bold like lions, paths that lead toward deliverance and safety. And then there are paths that lead to death. We'll hear about the need to turn away from evil. And in fact, the image will be used more than once. In the passages we'll read together today, of a snare that leads to death, a trap being set to catch an animal so that it could be killed. There are paths that lead to life and those that lead to death. In other words, there are things in this world that will happen to you that will make you want to turn toward evil. There are things. Things that will happen to you in this world that will make you want to turn toward the paths that lead to death. Those things we call temptation. Where do you find the confidence and the courage to resist? That's what we're here to learn this morning. We're going to start by listening to God's word as
1: Caleb reads for us. The scripture reading this morning is selections from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Atlanta is a city with a lot of nicknames.
0: Sometimes it's called the city that's too busy to hate. Sometimes it's called the city in a forest. It's great to live in a forest. It's beautiful. It's lovely. Um, But when you live in the middle of trees, there are squirrels in the attic. And they're back. Uh, So I came out of the bedroom the other day to find that the uh, attic door was open and the little stairs had been folded down. Patch was trying to root out the squirrels that were keeping him awake. I pop my head up into the attic, and I'm looking face to face. The little squirrel just looking at me, bold as a lion, (laughs) Proverbs would say. Like he owned the whole place, and what was I doing there? Um, Squirrels in the attic will find any little crack to get in, right? You know how it is. Squirrels are mostly fluff. They're mostly air. They are deception And uh, if they can get their head through, their whole body can fit through. So any tiny little crack, they will squiggle their way in. Temptation is like that. Temptation will find any little crack to squiggle its way into our lives. I want us to start this morning by recognizing some of the forms that temptation takes according to the book of Proverbs. The first is uh, is one that I will I will summarize them with questions. The first is this: What can I get? There's a form of temptation that sounds like that. What can I get? There's something wicked and evil, but but I'm going to do it anyway because it will get me something I want. Um, this is kind of the front on frontal assault version of temptation. It's the first form of temptation you meet in the book of Proverbs as you read chapter one. the The first kind of temptation you're exposed to, chapter 1, verse 10, says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason so that we can steal their things. Right? Like, hey, I know it's wrong to beat someone and steal their stuff, but what can I get if I do that? And I want it, so I'll do it. And you meet this form of temptation a couple other times in Proverbs. uh, You you read in chapter 7 a woman who approaches the young man and says, Hey, guess what? My husband's out of town. Let's have our fill of love for the night nobody will ever know. He's away for a month. He took plenty of money with him. What can I get? I know that it's wrong to sleep with another man's wife. But even though it's wrong, I can get some pleasure out of it. I'm going to do it. And uh, so Lady Folly, when you meet her, uh, this metaphor for foolishness, she even speaks this way. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What can I get? I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway because I think I can get something out of it. Here's the first takeaway regarding temptation. Be on guard when other people promise you enjoyment without commitment. Can I I get wealth without having to commit myself to work for it? Can I just take it? Can I just steal it? Can I just find an easy way to get it? Can I have the pleasures of this kind of intimate relationship with another person without being in the kind of committed relationship where that pleasure is intended to flourish and thrive? Be on your guard. The squirrels are sneaking in the attic anytime somebody says, hey, you can enjoy this without commitment. The next form of temptation that we meet in the book of Proverbs will capture with this question, what do others think? What do other people think of me? What's my reputation according to other people? We read a proverb this morning as Caleb was reading for us. uh, Proverbs 29, 25, the last verse of this morning's scripture reading says, The fear of man lays a snare. The fear of man is that question, What do other people think of me? When that becomes the most important question in your life, What do other people think of me? bad things happen. You're like an animal waiting to be caught in a trap. The fear of man lays a snare. Proverbs warns us that uh, there's this this kind of stumbling into uh, evil when it looks good. It looks like the sort of thing that would impress other people, but it can be done for wicked reasons. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll notice this pattern throughout Proverbs that that when it's talking to us about temptation, it's using the categories of the Ten Commandments. If you want to know ten ways that human beings are tempted toward evil, review the Ten Commandments. So, Proverbs says, Hey, if the sinner comes to you and, and says, Let's go steal stuff, well, well, hey, that's one of those commandments. That's number eight. Don't steal. And if the adulterous woman comes to you and says, Hey, my husband's out of town. Let's fill the night with love. Hey, that's number seven. That's adultery. You're going to be tempted to do that. Well, Jesus comes back to the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't pretend to be honoring God when what you're trying to do, you're just playing games with him. You're trying to get attention from other people. And then he lists for us in uh, Matthew chapter 6 some of the ways that that could be done. And so the first he mentions is is the person who who goes out and and does their charitable giving in public and says, Everybody, look how generous I am to poor and needy people. Look how I am honoring God with my wealth. When Jesus is like, No, stop. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. You're, You're playing games with God's name. You just want attention from other people. You're doing what looks like a good thing, but you're doing it for a wicked reason. The fear of man has become a snare for you. Jesus is using the same kind of wisdom we find in the book of Proverbs. And he goes on to talk about prayer. He says, hey, when you pray, don't go out on the street corner and pray so that everybody else can see you and hear you and think, oh, that's a great person over there. This is somebody who really loves God. No, Jesus is like, you don't really love God. You're just playing games with his name. You want other people to think you love God. Don't fall into that trap. What do others think of me? And and then he the final example he gives is fasting. You know, that hey, if you're going to fast, don't do it in such a way that everybody knows what you're doing. Because you're just playing games with goodness. You're doing what looks like Good things, but you're doing it for wicked and evil reasons. You are pretending to give attention to God when in fact you're trying to draw attention to yourself. That's another squirrel trying to wiggle in the attic, right? This is temptations coming in, sometimes going through the door of, what do other people think about me? Could I do something that looks so good that other people would think more highly of me? So that the real motivation is no longer goodness. the real motivation has become self. Proverbs warns us against that. The fear of man lays a snare. Jesus warns us against that. We'll talk later about how Jesus' life and ministry fulfills all the patterns of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. So it's not surprising. That, uh, that they're both dealing with the same form of temptation. The what can I get form is one form. And then the what do other people think of me is a second form. And yet, Proverbs mentions more often than any other, another kind of temptation. What do I think? What can I get? I'm going to do something that I know is evil, but I think it will get me something pleasant. Without any commitment, no strings attached. That's one form of temptation. Another form is, what do other people think about me? Can I do something that looks good, when in reality, I just want attention? And then this third form of temptation says, what do I think? You hear it warned against several times in the passages that Caleb read for us this morning, Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Verse 7 of that same chapter, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Chapter 28, verse 26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Uh, the word translated mind there in that verse is most often translated heart. If you trust in your own heart, you are a fool, Proverbs says. If if your main question is life is, what do I think? Do I think this is a good thing? If I do, I should do it. Do I think this is a wrong thing? If I do, I shouldn't. But the main question is... I am wise in my own eyes. I will do this because I know what is best. This is a kind of, the form this takes in our culture right now, Western cultures. This is what I will call moving target humanism. The difference between good and evil isn't always clear, our culture says. So in the places where it isn't clear, it's up to you to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And it's only wrong if it causes you to violate your values. If it causes you to go against your own conscience, if it causes you to go against your sort of inner sense of peace and goodness, then resist it. Don't go there. But if it doesn't cause that, then you don't need to resist it. It's not temptation. If you don't think it's wrong, then do it and don't let anybody else make you feel bad, otherwise. Proverbs says, don't be wise in your own eyes. This form of temptation is mentioned more often than any other in the book of Proverbs. In fact, oftentimes Proverbs shifts from one form to another. It starts out by warning, hey, somebody is going to come to you and say, let's go do this evil thing. And then it turns and says, Why are you wise in your own eyes? Well, wait, wait, wait. They tempted me. It's their fault. They were the ones trying to get me to do the wrong thing. And the wise teacher in Proverbs always turns around and goes, no, 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 no. If you weren't already so wise in your own eyes, the squirrel wouldn't have had a crack to get inside the attic. This is the most dangerous form of temptation In all of life, every other form ultimately comes back to this. I know what is best. I will do what I think is right because I am wise in my own eyes. This form of temptation needs a little extra attention, so let's break it down a bit. I've been reflecting on it this week, I'm I'm seeing how it kind of creeps into my own. Here are the cracks in the eye attic where the squirrels get in. It comes in three waves. The first wave is, it sounds great, trust your own wisdom. Sure, love to. I'm a good guy. Trust my own wisdom. Yes, let's start there. Wave two, do what your own wisdom tells you. Sounds pretty consistent with the first wave. I trust my own wisdom, so let me just do what's consistent with my own wisdom. And then the third wave hits and says, now don't ever repent or apologize. You see how they go together, right? If I trust my own wisdom, it's going to be really hard for me to ever say to someone else, Please forgive me because I was wrong. If I trust my own wisdom and I always do what's consistent with my own wisdom, it's going to be really, really difficult for me to ever say, I have hurt you. I was wrong. I trusted my own wisdom and it. Backfired on you and me and God and everybody else in the whole universe. It's hard to think like that, let alone speak and act like that, if we're still in the trust my own wisdom, I am wise in my own eyes posture. Um, <clears throat> some of you are too old to appreciate memes. And some of you are too young to appreciate Star Trek, the next generation. But a wise communicator, at least one who's wise in his own eyes, can reach both audiences at once. So here we go. (laughs) Whether you've met this through the form of a meme, or whether you actually saw it broadcast for the first time on TV because you're that old and you're that much of a Star Trek nerd... Um, You know the phrase, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. Right? Ever seen that meme? It's uh, Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Picard, and his Borg outfit with the wires and metal stuff and laser eye. Because there was this whole series of episodes of The Next Generation where he gets assimilated into the hive mind of the Borg. And... All you hear is that line over and over and over again. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. And after we look deeply at temptation, we can feel that way. It's like there are too many cracks in the attic. The squirrels are going to get in. What can I do? I should just throw in the towel. Resistance is futile. I will be assimilated. Because when somebody comes along and promises me enjoyment without commitment, it sounds really good and it's kind of hard to resist. Whether your preferred form is money. Can we go beat this guy and take his stuff? Jesus has a lot to say about money in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't love both God and money at the same time. But man, when somebody offers it to me, it might be hard to resist. Maybe maybe it's lust. Maybe it's adultery. Jesus has a lot to say about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. It sounds really good. It's going to be hard to resist. Resistance seems futile. Or what about this next form of temptation? The temptation to do good things for wrong reasons because I want attention and praise from other people. Who doesn't love to be praised by other people for doing good stuff? So when I get an opportunity to do something good, Just to get your attention. It's going to be really hard for me to resist that. Why don't I just give in? I will be assimilated in the end anyway. And when someone comes along and says to me. It's okay to be wise in your own eyes. Just trust your own wisdom. And do whatever your wisdom tells you. That is the air we breathe. As modern westerners. That is the air we breathe. It will be difficult for for us to recognize that we're even being tempted toward evil. Because it seems so natural and good. How can we resist? Everything is stacked against us. Is there any good news here? Should we talk about resisting temptation? Or is it all just a lost cause? Let's learn to recognize it so we know what kind of flame we're going to go down in. Learn the difference between a black squirrel and a red squirrel and a brown squirrel so you know what kind of squirrel is in the attic because you can't keep them out. That's not good news. Um... Jesus comes living and breathing and speaking and reinforcing all the kinds of wisdom we find throughout all of Scripture, including the book of Proverbs. His message can be summarized in one simple sentence. You find it several times in the Gospels in in various forms. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. He's telling us. He's telling us the two main ways that Proverbs gives us for resisting temptation. Believe. Repent. There's good news. Resistance is not futile. There's good news. You don't have to be assimilated. There's good news. Start here. Believe that there is someone stronger than evil. believe that there is someone stronger than evil. And yes, many things will happen in this life that will make you want to walk toward evil. But the beauty of the book of Proverbs is, is, is that it pictures God as walking alongside us and constantly trying to pull us back toward what is good. Like, I don't know your picture of temptation, but for me, it's not that picture. My picture of temptation is... I'm trying to walk towards good and every evil thing is constantly pulling me away. But listen to what God is doing. He's like, no, I want to get you back on the path of life. It's not just that the gravity of of evil and wickedness is constantly pulling you and you better give in because resistance is futile. But the gravity of God's grace is grabbing you and saying, no, come this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let me pull you back out of that. To trust me. And listen to verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Why would God tell us to do it? If resistance is futile. It is possible to be tempted and yet turn away. From evil and wickedness. It is possible to live life in this broken world. It is possible to have an attic with cracks in it. And yet, there are ways to keep the squirrels out. And yet, we can't turn away from evil. You can't turn away from snares of death, Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life so that one may turn away from the snares of death. It is possible in this life to be as bold and courageous as a lion. It's very different from a throw in the towel fatalism, so I named earlier one kind of takeaway is this we live in an age of of this kind of uh, humanism that's a moving target, humanism, right like. Good and evil constantly in flux. i got to figure out where the boundaries are. And uh, I'll just look inside and find that because I can trust my own wisdom. Well, here's another takeaway. Don't adopt this throw-in-the-towel fatalism that says, you know what? I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I'm a good Presbyterian. I believe in sin. And uh, therefore, resistance is futile. No. God says, that's a wicked life. The wicked flee when nobody pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We don't have to be afraid that every form of evil that exists in the world is stronger than every form of good that exists in the world. I may not be stronger than evil, but I believe in someone who is. Jesus calls us to have the same kind of wisdom that Proverbs does. Confidence in God's power to draw us away from evil and from the paths that lead to death. Repent and believe the good news that there is someone stronger than evil who exists in this universe. And he has made himself known through his word and through his son. So, half of what it means to resist temptation is believing that there is someone stronger than evil. The other half is repent. Repent because there is someone wiser than you are. Repent because there is someone wiser than I am. Repent because there is someone wiser than all of us put together. That's how we resist temptation. We said earlier, if I consistently trust my own wisdom, if I'm wise in my own eyes, then I have to ask the question, will I ever be free to repent as frequently And as deeply as I need to. If I am wise in my own eyes, will I ever be free to apologize as sincerely, as frequently, as I need to? Will I ever be able to do that if I am wise in my own eyes? Jesus, not surprisingly, being the Son of God... And having come to defeat evil, death, sin, temptation in all its forms. Not surprisingly, he understands all this. So notice how he deals with another one of the Ten Commandments. We talked earlier about the Eighth Commandment don't steal, the Seventh Commandment don't commit adultery, the Third Commandment don't take God's name in vain. <clears throat> what about the Sixth Commandment don't murder? Well, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has something to say about that. It says this in Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counsel of judgment. And whoever says, You fool will be liable to hell. Jesus isn't just saying it's still wrong to murder people. He is saying that. He's going a little deeper. He's saying murder and anger have this common thread. Murder involves a heart that has said, I have tried you. And I have found you guilty. And I have sentenced you to death. And I'm going to take your life. For whatever reason, I have been judge, jury, executioner. And and Jesus is warning us, watch out. Anger can be exactly the same way. I have tried you and found you guilty of irritating the snot out of me. And I have tried you and proven you guilty because here I am irritated, and there you are irritating me. And now I'm gonna let you have the fury of my anger. I'm gonna unleash it on you. I might not hit you, I might not physically assault you, I might not murder you, pull out a real weapon, take your life. I might not actually do what I'm thinking about. But it's the same DNA. I am wise enough in my own eyes to be judge, jury, and executioner. I am wise enough to reach the decision that whatever you have done to trigger my anger deserves whatever I feel like doing in response. Whether I keep it inside and simmer and you never know I'm angry with you because I'm all smiles on the surface. Or whether you feel it, passive aggressive, or you feel it all aggressive, or whether I actually come at you but don't quite swing. It's got that same DNA. How do we deal with that? Does Jesus have any wisdom for us that would help us no longer be wise in our own eyes? He actually does. If you notice what he does next in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't just say, hey, if you have that kind of anger, um, watch out. It's got the same root that murder does. He next says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there you remember that someone has something against you, leave the altar and go be reconciled to the person Who has something against you. Notice what Jesus did. When I am angry at you. I'm the accuser. I'm accusing you. Of angering me. But now Jesus said. Flip the script. Do you know anybody who has something against you? Do you know someone who could accuse you? And he says verse 25. Um. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. using another metaphor here. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge. You see what he did? He goes deeper. He says, don't focus on the reasons you have to be angry with other people. Spend a little time asking whether they might have reasons to be angry at you. Deal with the reasons that they would have to be hurt by you, offended by you. Why would we do that, Jesus? Because it breaks the back of that temptation to remain wise in our own eyes. It is hard to be wise in your own eyes while you're asking, where have I been wrong? It's hard to be wise in your own eyes when you're asking, who has a right to be angry with me? Not just who's angry with me, because some people are angry with me and they shouldn't be. It's their fault. I didn't do it. They're wrong. They're just in a bad mood. They're having a hard day. They were driving home in Atlanta traffic. Of course they're angry at me. They're angry at everything right now. But this posture that says, no, some people do have a right to be angry with me. It's really hard to be wise in your own eyes while you're asking that question in an honest way. When you're asking, why do I need to be forgiven? By God and by other people. It's hard to stay wise in your own eyes. Jesus understands the depths of the human heart because he knows what it's like to live life in this world. And he knows more about how to resist temptation than any other person who ever lived. There's part of us that thinks that can't be true. He was a goody two-shoes. He was a Sunday school Sally kind of dude. He was God in the flesh, so he had a cheat code for fighting temptation. Of course, he could no, he knows more about resisting temptation than any of us do because he resisted it further. I give in at some point before temptation has reached its furthest extreme. I have a tendency to give in. So do you. We're weakened that way. He was strong enough to fight it all the way to the very end. And that's where our confidence for resisting temptation comes from. It comes from somebody outside ourselves. When you can trust somebody else to be stronger than evil for you, then you can be as bold as a lion in your believing the good news about Jesus. Bold belief. When you can trust someone else to be wiser than you, about everything, all the time, you can be bold as a lion in your repenting. Bold repentance. Not because we're strong, not because we're wise, not because we're good at resisting, but because someone else is wiser and stronger Than we ever will be. Repent and believe the good news, Jesus says. Just repeat what he has said and add from Proverbs. And when you repent and when you believe, be bold as a lion. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. All of us have some repenting to do. All of us. All of us have hurt other people. All of us have offended you. All of us have disobeyed your Father's commandments. Some of us have even said, you don't have the right to command anything. Some of us have said, I know I've done all these things, but look how hard I've tried to be good in other ways, and doesn't that make up for it? Lord, all of us need to come to you and say honestly that uh, we like to turn toward evil. We like to turn toward the snares of death. No matter what form, we do that. And we need you to make us new. We need you to forgive us. We need you to strengthen us so that we can resist temptation to evil in all its forms, this day and the week ahead, Lord, we are weak, but you are mighty. Hold us in your powerful hand. Give us deeper faith in you, we pray. Amen.